good morning, Smithfield. Good morning. Supposed to turn this thing on, I think. There we go. Is that it? Yes. We're good. Well, I love that song. And uh, I want to make that a prayer of mine that the Lord would create in me a clean heart and renew a, a right and a steadfast spirit within me. And I hope and trust and pray that that is your desire as a church, a Smithfield Baptist Church. I want us to look at an Old Testament passage in the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles is in the Old Testament just a, a little bit before the book of Psalms. So if we look at Second Chronicles, and uh, I want to begin reading in chapter 29, Second Chronicles 29. We're going to bounce from 29 to 30 and even go over into chapter 31. I'm not going to read all those passages, so uh, you can rest uh, easy there. But we do want to look at the account of a revival in the life of the nation, of the people of God, this Old Testament account in the time of King Hezekiah. I want us to think about and uh, ask the Lord to help us to rightly understand what it means that there would be an outpouring of blessing on God's people. And really, that's what revival is. We'll look at that term, that word, and we'll look at all the concepts and think about it. Uh, I heard, I, if, if I didn't mistake, I heard you all are going to watch this, uh, maybe watch this film, The Jesus Revolution. Joey and I went to see that a couple of weeks ago when it was playing, and uh, it, it was, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good thing to think about. It's a good, it's a good movie. I won't, spo uh, spoiler alert, I won't tell you all that's going on in that, but uh, just to think about what would it be like to live under such an outpouring of God's blessing that, that it just shakes everything to its core. And it, it causes us to think deeply about who God is and, and what he is doing and what he desires for his people, for his church. And then to experience a, an outpouring of worship to God. Because really, as, as our brother has said and, and several have said here already, what we're about is to worship the Lord. And we've come together, even in this place, to worship the Lord. And we've got a life to live. The sister said, if I'm not mistaken, she said she's just now out of her 20s. Is that what she said? <laughs> However long we have. Oh. I stand correction. The last, the last day in her 30s. But the Lord has given us a time to live. And here he's given us this time. We're living in... 2023, I don't know how long you're going to live. I've lived most of my life already on this earth. I'm 65. I've got you beat, sister. But we are to spend our time, our lives as believers, as those who belong to the Lord Jesus, we're to spend our time worshiping the Lord. And so when we speak about revival, we're not talking about, wouldn't it be great that we'd all be more emotional and we'd all feel more? I hope and pray that I would be more emotional and feel more of the Lord and what he, who he is and what he has done and what he's doing. But that's not, that's not revival. Or, or wouldn't it be great if we all were busier in the Lord and we all were working harder in the Lord? Well, that, there's space for some of that probably in all of us. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a revival of the worship of the Lord. And that the desire of our hearts would be more and more and more for the glory of the Lord. And we would humble ourselves before the Lord. 
and pour out our lives before the Lord because he is worthy. And that's what it's all about. Second Chronicles, you're there now. Beginning in verse 1, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from this holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings to the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, in the wrath, therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. Then the Levites arose, Mahath the son of Amasai, and Joel the son of Azariah, and the sons of the Kohathites, and of the sons of Merari, Kish the son of Abdi, Azariah the son of Jehalalel, and of the Gershonites, Joah the son of Zimna, and Eden the son of Joah, and of the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Jeuel, and of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, and of the sons of Heman, Jehuel, and Shimei, and of the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaiah, and Uziel. They gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And I'll stop there and ask you to join me in prayer that God would use this word in our hearts today to draw us to himself, to glorify himself, and to stir us up that we would be among those who are restored, revived, revitalized, refreshed, made new, and become deeper worshipers of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this word and pray that you would use it, Lord, in our lives, the life of this church, the life of each individual here. Lord, even in the lives of those who don't yet know you, if there be any here, Lord, who have not yet come to that place of faith, that place of, of responding to you with a heart 
believing and trusting in you, repenting, Lord, towards you and repenting away from sin. Lord, use this word to bring life where there hasn't been life and to stir up life where it's grown cold. Lord, we pray that you do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Why did these people need this stirring up? Well, he said the people had been sinning. The nation had been lost in sin. The, the nation had grown cold. Did you, re did you hear what I read there and you were following along? It says that our fathers have been unfaithful. They've done what is evil. They have forsaken him. They have turned their faces away from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They had turned their backs toward the Lord. Can you imagine that? Turning your back away, turning your face away from the Lord and turning your backs toward him? And yet, does, did that only happen way back yonder? My goodness. What about our nation? What about our culture? What about our society? What about our churches? What about our church? What about my heart? Have we ever done that so that we, we ought to be prayed for by everyone else? We ought to pray for one another. Oh, God, turn us back around. If anybody ever, if any nation or society or culture ever needed this, ours does. And if any man ever needed such a thing, I do. If any church ever needed such a thing, this, this one does. And mine does, Emmanuel, where I'm from. Our churches need the stirring of the Lord that we would turn our faces toward the Lord. Or better yet, maybe start out turning our faces toward the ground in humility and repentance. You could read back in chapter 28 of this man, Hezekiah. He's king. His, his daddy was no account. His daddy was king. And he led the nation away from the Lord. And that, so that's why it's, it's coming here and saying, so he becomes king. Hezekiah becomes king, and he said, my goodness, what a mess we're in. And my, my father was part of that. And he had a heart, and his heart was planted the seed. I want us to turn back to the Lord. And I want the Lord to be rightly worshipped as he's worthy of being worshipped. So, so that's what we're reading about today. Now, what, what is revival anyway? The word revival is not in this passage. As far as I can tell, the word revival is not in the entire Bible. But neither is the word discipleship. Do we think discipleship's a good thing? Oh, yeah. Neither is the word missions. Is missions a good thing? Oh, yeah. Is it a biblical thing? Oh, yeah. Is it in the heart of the Lord? Oh, yes, it is. So is revival. A stirring up, a coming back to what, how the Lord blesses his people, a coming back to real living, living faith and a living display of the glory of God in the life of men and women in churches. That's what revival is, as we think about terms. This book of Second Chronicles is a famous one for revival. How many of y'all have ever been to an old-fashioned, old-time revival in the church. Well, I have. Maybe y'all have had some here. Revival services, we'll say. And one of the most famous passages is in this very book that's used in these 
kind of services. You know, Second Chronicles chapter 7, some of you all memorized it by heart. You could say it with me probably. Second Chronicles 7 where it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You all heard of that passage? Oh, yeah. It's a good one. And though we could debate back and forth, and I've debated with myself, what in the world does this mean? Is this for today? I mean, that seems like it's referring to those folks back then because it says heal their land. And if you read it in context, it says that if the Lord brings locusts on the land, and if the Lord shuts up the heavens so it doesn't rain and the crops don't grow, in response to your sinfulness, if the Lord does that, and he did that, and he could do such a thing again even in our midst, but if the Lord does that, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll heal their land because the Lord put a sickness on the land, locusts and drought. He said, I'll heal your, heal your land if you return to me, if you turn away from your sin, if you pray, if you humble yourself. Seek my face, God said. Well, was that just for those folks back in that day? Well, some of it is. We don't have locusts here. Praise the Lord. Well, we got some, but we don't have plagues of them. But we've got a land that needs healing. We've got a nation that needs healing. We've got hearts that need healing. We need to turn to the Lord. And so that's one idea of, that's one idea of revival, if we want to call it that, is, is a returning to what we once had. And oh, we need that here. Not that it was ever perfect. Sometimes we get nostalgic and think, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to go back to the 1950s? Oh, it wasn't all that, I don't think. Or wouldn't it be great if we could go back to the 1800s? I don't want to go back there. But I do want to go back in as much as the blessings of the Lord were on our churches or on our nation, and we frittered that away. We grew, we've grown cold, and wouldn't we like to be restored in those kind of ways? I would. That would be great. But another aspect of revival is some sudden work. And this is all introduction, by the way. We're just thinking about revival and what it is. Another aspect of revival would be just a sudden outpouring of the Spirit of God, so much so that some new thing happens, not, not restoring back to blessings that we've spoiled and grown cold in, but something new that's never happened before, that we've never seen before. And the Bible talks about that kind of thing. Think about the day of Pentecost. What happened then? Things happened that had never happened before. God poured out his spirit in, in fulfillment of prophecies that he had given the prophets of the Old Testament. In the early days of the church, the Lord established the church by the giving of his spirit. And the apostle Peter and the other apostles, it says that they stood up and they preached to the crowds. They preached. And there was a great response. And how many people were saved on that day? 3,000, 3, you say, brother. You're right. 
Who counted all those folks? I think the Lord counted them all. And he was able to make a, an accurate count. And he said 3,000 people were saved on that day. Who would not want to see that? I want to see it. That's a new thing. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And people were saved. So there's the idea revival can be the restoration to a, a place where we had fallen from. And there's the idea of a new work of God that he stirs hearts and brings people in by the boatload, by the carload, by the church load. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And it changes a nation. And it changes the world. I want both of those things. Lord, do that kind of work among us. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit. And Lord, bring people to salvation. And Lord, restore what we have spoiled by our coldness and indifference or our sin. Praise the Lord. Is he able to do all of that? One of you say so. Now we all, deep inside, we're saying, yes, he can do that. Yes, he can do that. Now, before we get, we're going to, I've actually got three points, so we'll get to number one here in a minute. But did you know that really there's a Pentecost going on every day? 3,000 were saved in one day in Jerusalem at the preaching of the apostles on the day of Pentecost. More than 3,000 people a day are being saved now every day of the week, seven days a week, every month, every year. Now, how do I know that? I don't have an accurate count, but if you just do the math, there are thousands and thousands of people who come to the Lord every day. If you count all that's happening in North America and South America, Africa, Asia, Australia, if you add them all up, thousands of people are being saved every day. Praise God. He's doing a Pentecost work every day. So all is not, all is not dead. God is not dead. He's still saving people. And there are many people who are being restored and refreshed and renewed and come to their senses spiritually. If ever that happened in any one of you, if ever there was a time in any of our lives where we, we came to understand I've grown cold, I've grown weak in my faith, and then the Lord turned us around and stirred us up inside by his spirit and by his word and by the preaching of the word and by people praying for us, and however else he did it, then there was a little revival right there, wasn't there? And I hope that you've all experienced such a thing. And I hope that we'll all experience such a thing many times in life. Not that I hope we all grow cold and we have to be restirred up. But if the truth is known, that happens to every one of us. Nobody's saying amen to that. But if the truth is known, that happens to all of us. And we need to be restirred up. We need to have the flames stoked again. We need to come back and humble ourselves before the Lord and pray and seek his face and call upon the name of the Lord and believe that he will hear us and do that in our hearts that we need to have done. Well, one more thing before we get to point number one. 
the Lord is not required to do the special work of revival or give some extraordinary experience for us to know the Lord, return to the Lord, worship the Lord, praise the Lord, and live a vital living faith in our lives in a real world. Is God required to do something extraordinary? The old timers I read about, I'm not old enough to have lived among them, but the Puritans would say, way back yonder, there's such a thing as ordinary grace, and there are extraordinary graces. And the ordinary grace of God is enough, plenty enough, for us to be stirred. The ordinary grace of God is plenty enough and strong enough and adequate and sufficient enough to save a multitude of people every day of the week. You know, in Jesus' day, some people had this idea and this attitude. They said, Jesus, we like you. I mean, it's good to have you around. But couldn't you do something a little more? If you would just do something a little more. Remember, remember the kind of stuff they wanted? If you could just bake us a little bit more of that free bread you got, we would be better followers of you. We'd be willing to follow you anywhere for free bread. Or if you would do some more miracles. Jesus, you've done miracles, but we want to see more. If you do something extraordinary, we would all repent and come to you. And what did Jesus say? You remember what he said about Chorazin, one of the little towns in, his, in Galilee? He said, oh, Chorazin, if the things that are done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In Capernaum, what did he say about them? If what has been done in you would have been done in some of those other places, in Sodom, let's say, they would have turned to the Lord. Hmm. We might say, if, if God would just pour out his spirit like he did on Pentecost, well, we'd be better. We'd be better followers and better worshipers, and we'd be more faithful. And so, Smithfield Church, and Doug Sturgeon, and fill in your name. Can we just sit back and twiddle our thumbs and say, well, we'll wait for some special thing to happen. What's more special than the Son of God coming and living and giving his life for our sins and rising from the dead and now exalted in heaven at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us? What's more special than that? Do we need some special outpouring? Do we need to go down to, name, name the place? We're talking about revival today, I hope biblically, but not the revival, you know, what was it called? The Great Awakening back in the 1700s. Not the Welsh revival that we can read about that happened in the early 1800s, I believe. We're not talking about the Jesus Revolution that happened in California. You're a Californian, aren't you? In your home state, all that stuff happened. We have a, a, we have a feeling sometimes, oh, if we could go back and see those kind of things, we'd be better. 
I'm not talking about the Asbury Revival of 1970. I'm not talking about the Asbury Revival in 2023. I, I don't know anything about those things, but we're talking about what God does in individual hearts using his ordinary grace, first of all. The normal stuff of Scripture that he's given us. The presence of the Lord. Do we have to go somewhere to some special place or some event and that's where the Holy Spirit is? Where is the Holy Spirit? If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit's within you. God has granted his spirit that he might live in us, dwell in us, that we might know the very presence of God. In that sense, we don't need some special thing. But in another, in another very real and biblical sense, we're going to read about it. We do need the special work of God. Lest we think, we'll just try a little harder, or do a little more, or give a little more, and that will be revival. No, if we're going to be stirred, revived, revitalized, refreshed, restrengthened, whatever you might want to say, it's got to come from the heart of God and land in our hearts. May God do that in us. Okay, we're at point one. The characteristics of this biblical revival that we're reading about, what are they? What's the characteristics of the biblical revival that happened in the time of Hezekiah? We just began reading about it. It said, it said first of all, it was sudden. The suddenness of it all. Did you read it? Did you hear that? In 2 Chronicles 29, it says, Hezekiah began to reign when he's 25. And in verse 3, it says, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. And then he did all these other things that we read about. He brought in the priests and the Levites and he said, carry out all this trash and filth from the house of God. Can you imagine that, that the house of the Lord, the temple of God, was filled with filth and trash and garbage and refuse? And they cleaned up the place. When? It says in the first year of his reign, in the first month. And if you read on down, it says these Levites, they did that. They got in there and they started hauling. They got wheelbarrows out or whatever they had back then and they took all that filth out. And it said they did it right then. The first eight days they did such a work, they, they came to the end of it. I think it's about eight days. I think I read that. And they said, well, we got that done. Praise the Lord. It was sudden. It, it came on a sudden. It's not something, in other words, you know, they sat around and they, they formed three committees and they thought it through, and then they planned it. Now next year, come July of next year, we're gonna have a revival. No, it came on them suddenly. And look on down in this very same chapter, in chapter 29, in verse 36, it said, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had prepared for the people, for the thing came about suddenly. I knew I didn't make that up. It came about suddenly. It was a thing that happened. And they didn't plan for it. They didn't figure it out. They didn't 
committee eyes it out. They didn't, I'm not preaching against committees, by the way. Do you all have any committees? It's okay. I serve on a committee in my church. That's good. But they didn't have it. They didn't, they didn't reach into their back pockets and say, here's the plan. It was an outpouring of God's spirit. And it came suddenly. The characteristics of a biblical revival is it comes from God. And it comes at his direction and his timing and on his calendar and not on ours. There's a characteristic. I had a pastor once. You talk about uh, having a pastor. I had a pastor once. He was, he was a godly man. And he said, our trouble is we tend to think that our problems are imposed on us from the outside and the solution is on the inside. And think about that. That's, that's the way we tend to think. My problems, I'm not all that I should be spiritually. I'm not all that I should be as a husband. I'm not all that I should be as a mother. I'm all, not all that I should be as whatever. But it's somebody else's fault. Right? Oh, I wasn't raised right. I wasn't born right. I wasn't financed right. I wasn't helped right. But now I'm going to fix it because I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to plan for it. And it's all in here. I'll pick myself up by my own bootstraps, we say. That's not the way it actually is. Actually, our problems are not imposed on us from outside. Our problems are inside. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, covetousness, pride, envy, all kind of things. It comes from the outside. It's not what that comes on the on the outside that defiles us is what's already in here. And the fix for it is not, well, I'm going to try harder and I'll find the solution in me. I'll take a psychology class or I'll take a religious class or I'll try uh, to get more sleep or I'll eat more broccoli or something and it'll be in me. Now the solution comes from outside us. It comes from Almighty God bringing in, busting in from the outside, bringing his spirit in his time, suddenly, in his time, thoroughly, and he does a work in us to change us. Don't ever forget that. This thing came suddenly from outside of us, came from God. And think about the thoroughness of it, the breadth of it. This wasn't just a, done in a corner. In chapter 29, I didn't read that this far, but go on down all the way down to verse 28. Verse 28 says, The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king... And all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and worshipped. Who did all that? The king 
and those who were with him and all the assembly. This thing was widespread. When we talk about revival, we can talk about an individual revival, and I've already said that. We need to be revived. If there's, if there's one person here and you're living right now in the sense of coldness and weakness of, of faith, and the realities of the kingdom of God are, are not just bubbling forth in you, then, then you need to be revived. And we want to pray for you. You pray for me that that will be true in me. But a revival of the power of God is widespread. It's thorough. It's broad. It's long. It's deep. And this affected not just one guy. Hezekiah was revived at that time. The king was being revived. Oh, he saw the... He saw the indifference. He saw the coldness. He saw the sin. And we said, we need to repent of that. We need to turn from that. But it wasn't just him. It says the Levites and the priests, they were with him. The princes that he'll talk about later on. And then it says the whole assembly, all the people. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Smithfield Church, not just here and there, one or two, but the whole church caught on fire, not literally, but caught on spiritual fire. The whole bunch. Oh, I pray that that would be true. I pray that in Emmanuel, in our church, that it would be the whole church that just burst into flame, living flame, living power, living gospel strength, living worship of the Lord with the intention of all of our hearts together. Wouldn't that be great and wonderful? The revival in Hezekiah's time was widespread. It was deep, long, broad. And not just in that sense. I told you we're going to bounce a little bit. Going over to chapter 31. It's chapter 29, 30, and 31. This whole thing is just wonderful. Of the outpouring of the power of God. It says, now when all this was finished, what they did is they, they cleansed the temple. They started worshiping the Lord as he had called them to do. Then they... They, in chapter 30, they observed the Passover. They had not been even observing the Passover like they should have been doing. And then it says in, ver in chapter 31, verse 1, Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin. Well, that would be great. But it didn't end there. And in Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. Not just Judah. Hezekiah was king of Judah and Benjamin. You remember at this time there were 12. How many, how many tribes were there? Twelve. The kingdom had split. The southern kingdom was called Judah. That was Judah and Benjamin. The ten northern tribes, that was Israel. They didn't have anything to do with one another. In some ways, they hated each other, even though they were brothers. They were sisters in, in their heritage. And, and the northern tribes, were, they were just gone. Spiritually, they had been gone a long time. By this time, hundreds of years of sin and rebellion. But it says when this happened, God poured out his spirit and stirred the people of Judah. Hezekiah's king of Judah. But it didn't end there. They didn't build a fence around it and said, here's the revival. It's in Judah and Jerusalem. They went up to Ephraim and Manasseh. That means the kingdom of Israel in the north. 
and revival happened there, and they started tearing down the idols and the, the altars that had been erected to these false gods. When God does a work, it's thorough, it's big, it's broad, it's deep, it's wide, it's sudden, and it has an amazing effect. This is one of the characteristics of biblical revival. There's an amazing effect on the lives of the people. It says that there was an outpouring of worship of the Lord. Again, look back at chapter 29, verse 28. Chapter 29 and verse 28, where we already read the whole, assemble, uh, the whole assembly did what? They all got a tattoo that said, I've been revived. No. It says they, the whole assembly, worshipped. They worshipped. They became worshipers of the living God. It's not just that they were excited. I'm sure they were excited. It's not just that they were, they were had a spring in their step. I'm sure they had springs in their step. But they worshiped the Lord. Such worship as they had perhaps never experienced in their lives. They worshiped the Lord. The whole assembly, it says. It says in verse 29 again, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves in worship. How long has it been since we, church, bowed ourselves down, humbled our hearts so much, and worshiped the Lord from the depths of our hearts? Oh, I have to ask myself, how long, how long am I content sometimes to go? And that is not my experience. Revival will mean we'll become worshipers of the Lord. Maybe like we've never done before. We'll humble ourselves before the Lord, maybe like we've never done before. When we're talking about revival, is that what you want? Is that what you want, Smithfield? To become worshipers of the living God. Jesus said that the Father is looking for a certain people. What kind of people is he looking for? Worshipers. Those who worship him in spirit and truth. Well, I thought he wanted workers. Well, if you're, if, you're, if you're touched by the fire of God, you'll do some work. But the primary work you're called to is to worship the Lord. It's to worship the Lord. And that's what happened. The effect of revival, true revival, biblical revival, will be an outpouring of worship. And it says that they sang praises with gladness, I think I read. In verse 30, they sang Praises with gladness. I'm not going to criticize anybody here for singing or the way anybody here sings. You could criticize me because sometimes I sing and it doesn't seem like it's very glad. These people began to praise the Lord with gladness. They liked it. Why? Because their hearts have been changed. God is shown themselves to be great and worthy of worship. And they gladly bow themselves down and they worship the Lord. Wouldn't we like to have that kind of worship? Not just exciting, although I want exciting worship, but glad worship, where we give our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I give myself to you gladly. I don't want to reserve any part back. I'm giving myself to you. Revival will cause us to be glad worshipers of the Lord. And not only that, it'll mean 
that we'll become those who are obedient. Obedient to the Lord. Revival changes everything. James in the New Testament said something about faith. Remember he said, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Same thing could be said about revival. You show me your revival without works, just a little excitement, and then I'll say you're revived. No. He said, I'll show you my revival. We could say, I'll show you my revival by my works. That's what these folks did. We've already read from the first part of the chapter, 29, Hezekiah is stirred in his heart. And he calls for the Levites and the priests. Boys, I want you to be stirred in your heart. Go and cleanse the temple. And they did it in record time. And then all these other folks, they came around and it says they started worshiping the Lord as had been commanded by God and was and is commanded now. It says in chapter 30, I want you to look at it and read it so you don't think that I'm making this stuff up. The hand of God in verse 12 of chapter 30 was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. You see, they, they were not content just to get excited or just to sing, but they also put their hands to the work and to do what God commanded. If we are revived, we run a risk. We'll become worshipers more deeply than we've ever been worshipers before and will become more obedient. Hmm. Because you're right. Do we want... Well, I thought it was all about excitement. I thought it was all about flaming fires and singing louder. No, it's also about being more obedient. Does Smithfield Church want to be more obedient to the Lord? Do I want to be more obedient? I better be careful what I ask for. We better be careful what we ask for. If that's not what you want, then don't be revived. If we want to go on in our disobedience or our lukewarm obedience, don't ask for a revival. These folks were touched in the heart to sing loud and to work hard. For the glory of God. All this came suddenly. It, it was wide, broad, deep. It had amazing effects. They worshiped the Lord. And they became more obedient. Point number two. And these, this is very quick. God uses means. He uses means to do what he's doing. He's reviving. And he uses means. What means did God use here? He used human agents. First one was Hezekiah, the king. God stirred his heart. And he did what? And he turned and he said, priests and Levites, front and center. And they seemed to be so stirred in their hearts, they were front and center. 
and, and it affected them, and God used them, and they led the people, and they taught the people how to worship, it says. They led, they brought out their trumpets and bugles, and they blasted them, and they said, let's worship the Lord. And then they were all examples, the priests and the Levites and King Hezekiah and the princes, and they were worshiping the Lord, and they were praising the Lord, and they were obedient to the Lord. The Lord used human agents to be examples to the others. Wouldn't that be great if there were human agents? And they wouldn't be secret agents. Here at Smithfield, and God touched the heart of a man over here and a woman over here and some young folks over here, and they became the agents that God uses to stir everybody else up. Would you be willing to be one of those? Or would you be one who would watch others and say, I want some of what they've got. God uses human agents. He uses human examples. He uses preachers, pastors, teachers, Sunday school teachers, deacons. He uses sisters and brothers to help us. Praise God he does that. We don't have to look around and say, well, maybe he'll send an angel. I don't know that I've ever seen one. Maybe I have, but I've seen lots of brothers and sisters. He uses human agents. He uses you. He will use you if you've got a willing heart. He uses human agents and he, he uses prayer. Look at chapter 30 and verse 18. You see, some of these folks, they were affected, but they came, they came in the wrong way. They messed up. We're going to think about that in just a second. In verse 18 of chapter 30, it says, For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. They messed up. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, though, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And the Lord said no. Is that what it says? Oh, the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. There was, God uses prayer. God uses prayer. It says further that the Levites and the priests, they blessed the people. They blessed the people and they prayed and God heard them. You won't have any revival, whether it's in your own personal heart or whether it's in the church, whether it's in a nation, without praying and asking the Lord, oh, we beg you, Lord, do what only you can do. They, God uses prayer and he uses the scriptures over and over. Just read through this when you get home. Read back through chapter 29 and 30 and see how many times it says, and they changed things. They started doing things the way the Lord had commanded them. The way the Lord had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. It says even their worship, it says, according to what God had said to David, this is how you are to worship. God uses his word. There won't be any wordless, Bibleless revival in your heart or my heart or in this church. Praise God for you teachers who teach the word of God. Keep teaching the word of God. Preacher, keep preaching the word. And then finally this, the foundation of the revival. It's not in us. 
foundation of revival is God's grace and mercy. We just read that. What happened? The people came. They said, oh, yes, we want to do that. We want to be part of this. We want to worship you, Lord. We want to return to where we, from where we have fallen. We want a new work done in us. But they messed up. They came, they came not as clean as they should have been. They didn't follow the rules. And so what did God say? He said, well, stop it all then. No. He showed mercy toward them. He heard Hezekiah's prayer. And they came even though they were tripping over their feet the whole way. By the way, this, in chapter 30, it talks about this new pa the Passover. They had neglected the Passover. They started to do the Passover again. But they did it in the wrong month. What? Chapter 30, it says that they came in the second month of the year, the 14th day of the second month. When is Passover? You, you Bible scholars who know all the little details of, when are they supposed to do Passover? The first month of the year, 14th day of the first month. They came a month late. But guess what? God had already made provision for that in the law. He had already told Moses, if people, because they're defiled and they're unclean and they can't come in the first day, on the 14th day of the first month, let them come on the second month. The 14th day of the second month. That's all right with me, God said. I want people to come to me. I'm not all about making rules. God is about showing mercy. Jesus quoted the Old Testament scripture. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So when they came and they had messed up and they came not as clean as they should be and they came on the wrong day of the wrong month because of all that, God had already made provision for them. If we are to be re revived, it's going to be by the grace of God. It's because not of what something that we do, we do or we plan or we make or we make up or we fake or we buy. It'll be because God does his merciful work. Look at um, what the Lord says in the foundation of the revival. We read where he prepared for the people. He prepared for the people because it became suddenly. And then it says that it is the power of God that was at work in them to do in them and in us what only God can do. He himself provided for and gave for and moved in the hearts of the people that they might know that the hand of the Lord is with them. Chapter 30 and verse 12, and then we're about done. Chapter 30 and verse 12. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princess commanded by the, the word of the Lord. Where did that heart come from? God. God was on Judah to give them one heart to do what he had commanded. It won't be something we invent, make up, provide for, strengthen ourselves to experience. It'll be because God pours out his heart and his spirit.
and puts his hand upon us. Is that what we're asking for, church? Is that what we're hoping for and looking for and expecting? Smithfield Baptist Church, what do you need? Emmanuel, what do we need? What do I need? I need the work of God on my heart. Are we willing to beg for that, to hope for that, to be informed and saturated with the scripture for that? Are we looking for that? Are we seeking not just that? Are we seeking him? And that was the idea. They had stopped seeking him. And now they're turning to seek him, to seek his face. It's a blessing for any and all of this, part of this, 10% of this, or 100% of it, to be granted to God's people. But if it is to be, it will be granted by God. But I believe it will be in response to the prayers and the longing and the thirsting and the hungering of his people. And then we'll give God all the praise. And he'll be glorified. Is that what you want? Is that what we're asking for? Let's ask for it now. Let's pray. Father, we pray. Just looking at these, as these things happened in the, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, in the time of Hezekiah, so long ago, or the, the thing that happened on the day of Pentecost so long ago. Lord, is that just for those ancient times? We pray, God, that you would do what only you can do. Stir us up. Lord, help us to be people that really seek your face. Lord, would you create in us a clean heart? Would you renew a right spirit within us? Would you restore unto us the joy of your salvation? Lord, would you pour out your spirit? Lord, we ask you, we beg you, that you would do what only you can do. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you, that we would become worshipers of the living God, such as we've never been before. Lord, if anyone is here and, and doesn't even have had an inkling of what does all this mean, because they've not yet come to that place of, of having a heart for you, of even wanting to seek you, Lord, we pray that you would help them, Lord, even now to know all what lengths you've gone to to bring us to yourself. You sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in the power of the Spirit and lived a perfect and holy life and with a willing heart gave himself for your glory and for our good. He died for our sin, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to your right hand and now intercedes for everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord. So, Lord, let them call, and you give them life, and we'll all give you glory for what you have done and are doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.